1: headquarters in new york city always seeking solutions never sowing division it's brian kilmeade Hi, everyone welcome to
2: the latest moments of the brian kilmeade show on this martin luther king day uh, many of you are off you've checking out the show for the first time stick around and we hope you stick with us uh all the way through uh meanwhile we're back in action because the news never stops i'm actually in uh, jacksonville florida Uh, I'll be uh, back uh, tonight in New York and then be ready to do the show and the five and everything else tomorrow. But uh, we have to keep you updated on what's happening. As you know, bottom of the hour, Jonathan Turley will bring us the latest on all things uh, legal. And, man, Joe Biden's got a lot of hills. He's got a scale. And Ben Jealous is going to be with us, one of the leading uh, intellectual voices in this country. He's got a great book out. Uh, And, of course, if you talk about Martin Luther King, uh, day and putting his life and legacy in perspective a man did not live to the to his 40th year but yet to impact, impact still made his book never forget our people were always free a parable of American healing is uh, out for a week now and it's just I downloaded it over the weekend it is excellent. So let's get to the Big Three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: And let's say one thing to rest. I may be a practicing Catholic. I used to go to 730 Mass every morning in high school and then in college before I went to the black church.
2: Not a joke. Andy knows this. Really, not many people do really know this, but remembering MLK today, we remember Martin Luther King Jr. We will discuss Dr. King's dream for America, where race relations stand today. Number two. Ten.
4: This is a national crisis. FEMA deals with national crises, and New York cannot take more. We're pointing the finger where it should be pointed, and that's our national government. This is a national problem.
2: Uh, very true. And I give Mayor, the Mayor Eric Adams, a lot of credit. That's the way you do it, Mr. Mayor. New York City's chief executive went to the border and actually saw illegals. He saw the problem. He saw the openings in the fence. He puts the blame right where it belongs, on the federal government. Yes, with the federal government, as record numbers of illegals cross in December, we'll talk about why these mayors are to blame to a degree and why I think the visit makes a difference.
5: Number one. Donald Trump has said from the beginning that he declassified everything and he points to public statements like a tweet that he sent out saying, I declassified everything. Joe Biden doesn't have any defenses. He has said that anyone that would do this is incredibly irresponsible. And now we've found out that he's done it four times.
2: Yeah, and growing. You know those numbers. More docudrama, Act 4. Yes, more classified docs were found at Biden's Wilmington property, improperly stored, and the entire administration scrambling for acceptable answers. The question is, why is the president's team still doing the searching as many of his party defenders and the press go into attack mode on really the president for the first time? But first things first, the reason why many of you are off and there's been a national holiday is because of the life of Martin Luther King Jr. and what he did to push us forward in race relations. Ben Jealous knows all about it. Uh, President of the People for American Way, professor of of the practice at the University of Pennsylvania, and former national president CEO of the NAACP, and author of a brand new book, Never Forget Our People Are Always Free, A Parable of American Healing. Uh, Ben, welcome to the radio show.
3: Thank you, Brian. It's always good
2: to be on you. Yeah, I know you are on vacation, you're skiing, but you took a minute off to talk to us, so we appreciate it uh, on, a special, on a special day. When you look back and study uh, MLK's life, uh, and you went to Oxford, you have the highest level of education, you talk to the smartest people on the planet, what stands out? You know what, and
3: I'm back from skiing, doing service with my son today, but you know, what's, what, is, what stands out is that we forget why Dr. King died, at least what he was doing. People think he was, like, assassinated during a desegregation battle. He was assassinated organizing the Poor People's Campaign. He was trying to organize people, white and black, across racial lines to assert their common claim for better pay, for better schools, for their kids. He was killed doing that. And we need to finish that work, end poverty, make sure people are well paid, make sure every kid can go to a good school. That's how we can best honor Dr. King.
2: So here we are. Uh, we have the, uh, Martin Luther King, who d- many people don't realize, did not live to see the day of 40. People still reflect on his life. And uh, he would be 94 uh, today, gunned down in 1968. Yeah. And if you think about the fact that we see the video in the 60s and we say, how could you possibly rationalize white and black water fountains? and bathrooms, and hotels. How could you possibly have that level of discrimination? Sit in the back of the bus, don't sit in the front of the bus. For people, and I'm not, uh, and I'm born in 64, I don't yeah. understand it, and I see nothing but progress today. How do you see it?
3: Yeah, as I talked about in my book, Never Forget Our People Were Always Free. Race as we know it, racism as we know it, as we've experienced in our lives, um was created about 100 years into the experiment in Virginia and you know in the colonies at that time, early 1700s, not early 1600s, not in the 1500s. And so it's something that we've created, and we can undo it. But the purpose of it, we have to understand, was to create a wedge – to divide working class whites, poor whites, back then European indentured servants, and African slaves, and today working class black folks. That's the purpose of it. And that's why you could see all those buses and those water fountains and all that division, because these two groups in the 1600s were rebelling together. European indentured servants, African slaves kept rising up together, and the colonial government, they tried the military, didn't quite work. They tried new laws, didn't quite work. And then they changed the definition of a six hundred year old word and and as Dr. King talked about, as Mark Twain has talked about, try to convince poor white that their greatest asset was their skin color as opposed to their solidarity with people who may not have looked like them, but had a lot of the same struggles and frankly they the two groups had a history of working together so that I think is the is the most important thing today there's a lot of progress as far as getting you know people. Uh, of color into into positions that no person of color has ever been in. But we still have a hard time pulling folks together, and all of our kids suffer as a result.
2: Affirmative action could come to an end this year. Is that a good thing or a bad thing?
3: You know, it it looks like that's what the Supreme Court's going to do, that that's going to be a thing. And the question is, what do we do next? And what I would say is that affirmative action is supposed to be the hammer that destroys nepotism as the... um, as the operating system of this country, and you know, my dad's wife, his family helped start Harvard in, in 1636. One of our ancestors gave 200 acres to start that school. And that school, your your class rank literally used to be your class rank. It was not your grades, it was your money. Uh, and so that's where we start in this country. And we have a long way to go, and what I hope is that we focus on getting first-generation kids into school of all races, kids who grew up poor into school of all races. I remember in, in my book, I talk about sitting on a plane with a guy who literally had a Confederate heart, a Confederate flag over his heart, and I was head of the NAACP. It was, it was a little awkward. But when we started talking, <laughs> what we realized was that, you know, honestly, his family had been trapped in the prison system in Georgia ever since the start of the Georgia, Georgia penal colony. My family has gone to college since the end of slavery. He was really worried about the boys in his family because they keep going to prison and he was the anomaly because Ole Miss had given him a football scholarship and that was an old, old Ole Miss booster shirt he was wearing. And so the multi-generational poverty has afflicted his family is outrageous as it is for any black family. And so I hope that on the other side right. of this Supreme Court judgment that headed towards us. We focus on the poor of all colors and getting them the education, op- uh, the educational opportunity they need, so that that guy with the Confederate flag over his heart, you know, can see the, the boys in his family's lives transformed the way that his was transformed, even if they can't play ball that well.
2: <laughs> uh, that's a that's a great point. I, I remember a, I'm reading, you know, I did the President Freedom Fighter, uh, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save yep. America's soul, and Frederick Douglass. Uh, in his autobiography, writes that he's talking to other white kids who were his friend on the Baltimore Docks, and they were saying, you know, we just got to wait for this generation to pass away because we don't see any difference between skin color. That was a hopeful Frederick Douglass in the 1840s because he says kids don't see, and he would go back and reflect on this, kids don't see color. Somehow society gets imbued with something, and I think it's getting less and less but when you're born, we see a flat playing field, and I think a lot of people listening to to you and I right now don't see a difference uh, between black, white, uh, American Indian, or Hispanic. Uh, how many of those people are there out there? If I was to put a percentage, well, Ben, I, mean, I mean,
3: I think it's most of the country. I think it's most of the country. And by the way, I thought your book was great. I bought it at the airport and I read it like hey. over a year ago. Yeah, no, I thought it was, was was a great book. You know, but at the same time, you know, the reality is that people are treated differently. You know, there was a book uh I think it was called Marked by a uh young Princeton sociologist who who ended up dying young. And in that book she said that in the in the low income job market, like when you're applying for like minimum wage jobs, um a black person without a record has a harder time than a white man who's been con- convicted of a felony. Because most employers assume that all black men are felons, and so if a white guy shows up with a felon record and says, "Hey, I'm I'm a felon," they're like, "Oh, well, you're honest." If a black guy shows up and doesn't cop to having a felony because you know yeah. he doesn't have one, they think that he's hiding something, and so you know that's what we're still dealing with. And and I talk as you know as I talk about a lot of that is on the media. You know, prior to the to the civil rights movement. The black poor were not shown in American media. It was just the the white poor, for example, during the Great Depression. Public support for everything public was high. After the Civil Rights Movement, ironically, they kind of only show poor blacks. They only kind of show black people going to prison, even though there's a similar number of whites in prison. And people then think, well, geez. Everybody's poor as black, everybody's going to prison as black and then you know that black guy shows up for a job, and he's just you know all sorts of assumptions are made that's that's not true and so that's really I think you know one of the last frontiers, if you will, is to really get the media to show the face of social problems that you know poor people have as many. Photos of white people, as they're you know, in, in you know, relative to the proportions, and 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 same thing for for who's going to jail. Otherwise, people think that people you know who look like them, because right. society is so segregated economically, they don't realize the people who look like them that are struggling in these ways. And that's that's important. People still respond to images of people who look like them more strongly than they do images of somebody who looks like somebody else.
2: You know, what struck me during that whole celebrity college scandal, making up rowing scholarships and volleyball scholarships for kids that don't belong with who have average grades who probably didn't want to go to those schools. They interviewed some uh, some black students and they started saying, now you know how we feel. Because a lot of them yeah. say – people look at me and say, well, you're only here because of affirmative action when a lot of these guys have 102 average and they got a, un- you know, a near-perfect score in the SATs. Yeah. And now celebrities, every celebrity at Harvard or Yale, I want them to get that same look that we get. And, yeah. you know, for the people like, I guess, Brooke Shields who had unbelievable grades and deserved to be at Princeton, there was others like the Full House people that didn't. And I, that gave me a new perspective – on the the downside of affirmative action, I don't need it. I remember Jack Parr was about to uh, introduce Bill Cosby, this young comedian. Uh, we know he's had problems of other things, been exposed, but he was the hottest comedian in the country. And Jack Parr goes, I want you to support this young man. He's really good. And out behind the curtain came a voice, and Bill Cosby says, I don't need it. I'm okay. I don't need it. He was about saying, prime the audience to laugh. And I sense that same thing from... The Ivy League campuses. I don't need it. Could be this. Could be the words coming from the students, because I want people to know I earned it. Do you want to tackle that? Yeah, you know, again, you
3: coming from a white family and a black family and a white family that frankly helped start Harvard back in the day. The reality is that the that that it's it's the class privilege that you don't see in the Ivy League. I went to Columbia. I've taught at Princeton. I teach at Penn. And if your family is wealthy, you get in. I I I was with with kids from wealthy families who literally had been admitted from mental hospitals, um, and and you know that's just a whole other thing. And then I did not know that family, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If, if your family is a legacy, you get in. You know, and and yeah. it's like, well, how can anybody ever compete with that? You know, if you weren't going here in the 1800s, if you weren't going here in the 1900s, well, that's never going to change for your family. And so, and so, we've got to figure out a way that really levels the playing field for everybody. You know, as I as I told that guy in that plane, look, affirmative actions have done a lot for women. White women have been the biggest beneficiaries by far. It's done a lot for people of color. Is done nothing for poor white men, and we've got to create a system that levels all of those problems with the playing field, including the problem of poverty. And that's what that guy in the plane and I were talking about that yeah. day, which is that you know it was great there was helping the women in his family, but they were never really as worried about the women as they were about the boys. The boys kept going to prison. Right. Uh, you know, poor poor white folks down in rural Georgia, well, we got to have a way of dealing with that, too. And that's my hope for the future of inclusion in our society, is that we deal with this class problem. You know, when, right. when, when President Obama became president, 48 percent of black people were in poverty. When Dr. King was assassinated, 48 percent of black people were in, in poverty. Similar resistance in the white community to actually impacting poverty. And the irony, of course, is that I talk about in my book, that's what— dr king was fighting for at the end of his life was to end that poverty
2: right never forget our people are always free a parable of american healing uh that book is out Perfect. a perfect day to download it and ben my exit question is has a 1619 project and black lives matter helped or hurt the black community
3: oh you know i mean look you got to remember why black lives matter was founded it was founded quite frankly, to uh, stop the killing of unarmed Black women and unarmed Black men. That issue is as urgent as ever. You know, we can we can quibble about how the organization was managed, but the cause is important. And I, there's a point in my book where I talk about uh, rural whites in uh, Missouri on fire around that issue. I mean, you know, honestly, they got issues with with Boss Hog mistreating them, too. You know, okay. um and uh with regards to the sixteen nineteen project, we need an you know to ha- to have an honest conversation about history in our in our country and my worry, brian, is that we, we we complain that young kids are being taught critical race theory they're not they're being taught black history, and the books that usually get banned are about that history, yeah. and so you know, I yeah, I think we should see more conversations like this listening to each other. I, I teach absolutely. at a law school. We teach critical race theory there. No one teaches it in the second grade. Uh,
2: ben, thanks so much. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, best of luck with the book, and I'll talk to you soon. Uh, pick it up. It's called Never right. Forget Our People Are Always Free. Ben Jealous, thank you. Your call's next. This is the Brian Me Show. So glad you're here.
1: conventional thought and wisdom you're with Brian Kilmeade he's so busy he'll make your head spin it's Brian Kilmeade
6: well my concern is that the special counsel was called for but yet hours after that we still had the president's personal attorneys who have no security clearance still rummaging around the the president's residence looking for things I mean that would essentially be a crime scene so to speak, after the appointment of a special counsel. So, you know, we have a lot of questions for uh, the National Archives. We have a lot of questions for the Department of Justice, and hopefully we'll be getting some answers very soon.
2: Yeah, I mean, why is it that President Biden can have his own legal team, many of which have not got security clearance, look through his stuff? They've already named a special counsel. I don't even know how they were able to do it before. I don't know why they decided on November 2nd, we got to clean that that office. There was no pressure from the University of Pennsylvania. That's true. They said they did not tell the president to gut his office. Why did he have to get out that day, and what did they find? Then why did they tell the Department of Justice, start this up, and then we've seen a steady, slow, and trickle of document discoveries that are not helping the president i think this is the worst period so far he's got about 20 documents now i guess trump for in six months after leaving office they said we're missing about 300 documents he they found about 300 in his mitts got it but joe biden had it for six years minima and who knows what he has back to the 80s as senator in various libraries and residences why they're slow walking it out, I don't get. Uh, I know there's something bigger here, and I'll discuss that next with Jonathan Turley. It's Brian Kilmeade Show. On the road, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Thanks so much for being here. Don't move.
8: I sincerely doubt that Joe Biden himself threw these things in a box and, and, and shipped them off to the White House. I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sorry to his residents. I'm sure that this was a staff a staff issue. It was some some aide who, in a hurry in the last days of the administration, was just grabbing materials and throwing them in a box. Uh, I think we even heard that it was in, some of this material was in boxes that included material about his son's funeral. So they may have seen, you know, son, Beau Biden funeral arrangements and thought, oh, okay, let's just put this in a box, not realizing that there were other documents intermingled.
2: Okay, case closed. That is Larry Pfeiffer uh, on Face the Nation trying to rationalize Joe Biden, getting at least 20 documents. We don't know what exactly they contained. Uh, Four separate discoveries. And who knows what can come down today? The latest one was Saturday. With us uh, right now is Jonathan Turley, George Washington University uh, law professor. Jonathan, is that a good explanation some people just threw in the box?
9: Well, it's one explanation, but it doesn't really answer the charge. You know, for example... The question of whether you mishandled, grossly mishandled classified evidence uh, is how you instructed material to be transported, handled over – this was a six-year period. And by the way, direct intent can be established at any point during that time. So if Joe Biden actually saw any of these documents with classification markings, it destroys this inadvertent defense that they are relying upon. And the reason I raise that is because there's a curious thing about the last set of documents. What the lawyers said was that they missed these documents in their earlier search. The question is why. I've dealt with classified material as an attorney for 30 years. Most classified documents come with a cover sheet with a – a border, a broad colored border, it can be red or yellow, across the top are very large block letters getting the classification. It's pretty hard to miss. So the question is, were they just negligent in their, quote, thorough investigation or search, or, and this is much more worrisome, were documents removed from those covers? And if that's the case, somebody clearly did know that there was classified evidence, in those boxes and looked at the documents because they had
2: to remove them. Jonathan the other thing is why are they still looking? I mean you you put a special counsel there and he's still having his lawyers look through it and then turn them over to people. So over the weekend he said this is what Richard Sauber special counsel to the president said yesterday. He said that the president that uh, the president Biden's personal attorneys conducted the search. They don't have security clearance. So if they identify a document with classified marking they stopped And did not review it. Quote, because I have a security clearance, I went to Wilmington, mean Richard Sauber, Thursday evening to facilitate providing the documents to the Justice Department. Really? While I was transferring to the DOJ, who accompanied me, five additional pages with classification markings were discovered. Among the material with it, for a total of six pages, the DOJ officials with no immediate, uh, with no, uh, with me immediately, took possession of them. Oh, isn't that nice? Who's making the decision to disclose and who not? What do they find on Saturday? Why can't they find it all at once? And now that special counsel has been named, why are they allowed anywhere near this?
9: Yeah, I wrote a, a column in the New York Post when he issued that statement because it raises these other questions. First of all, you're saying that you used uncleared attorneys to look for documents after, in this case, almost two months after the November 2nd discovery of highly classified documents in D.C., and that itself could be viewed as gross mishandling. Yeah. I mean, the, you, you're looking for highly classified evidence and you still assign unclear attorneys and just say, when you see the document, just don't read it. <laughs> Under what security protocol is that the approach? And what's weird is that if he were the former president, I could understand that to some extent because he doesn't have a staff. This is the president who is a host of security officials and the FBI available, and he could have easily said, go through those documents and with someone with a clearance, tell me if you find anything, remove it, etc." Instead, after numerous findings of classified information, they confirmed they still used uncleared lawyers. And what I ask in the column is, why? Why would you do that? And the answer is control. You know, it gives you a level of control. So for example, in these discoveries, what is lost when it's found by a private lawyer as opposed to the FBI? Well, one is context. We saw in Mar-a-Lago that they took pictures of everything, including what many people view as a staged picture uh, in the storage. It home.
2: was,
5: yeah.
9: But the Yeah, but the FBI takes pictures of everything as they discover things, right? We don't know if that was done by private counsel. It probably wasn't done. Usually lawyers don't create records that can be used against their clients. So we will have to rely on these lawyers as to how they first saw it. For example, did you see a classification cover sticking out of a pile? If that's the case, other people could have seen it. Uh, Was it in or outside the cover? What was in the box? If you remember in Mar-a-Lago, they took everything that was in a box, with any classified documents. That's clearly not
2: being done here. So the other question is, what else are they going to find? Who's leading this search? And the other words, what started this? Why, why did you go on November 2nd? Because University of Pennsylvania was asked, and they said, did you ask the Biden Center to clean out? Did you ask the president to clean out? And they said no. And this is the way they describe it. Pat Moore, a, a Biden attorney, who served as general counsel for his 2020 presidential campaign and continues to represent him outside the White House, said this. Moore and another attorney who has not been identified arrived at the Biden Center on November 2nd to help. While looking through the folders, Moore found a cover sheet that had classified markings on it and called the White House counsel immediately, according to the person familiar with the matter, who spoke on the condition of anonymity. The White House counsel informed the National Archives records and, and, and then the Justice Department became involved. We find out everything kept top secret until january we also find out that the cbs knew about this in november but they didn't write anything about it until january so that's another story but we still don't know what caused him to have his attorneys uh you know not uh not not a friend of his to rent a ride or truck and go in there bubble wrap it up and take it out so it makes you wonder why how this all started and the president seems to be totally left in the dark and insisting on remaining that way, which you have told me in the past, has no legal standing. Not telling the president what they found does not help him. Yeah, it
10: doesn't.
9: And at the end of the day, we obviously have more questions than answers, the president's not willing to answer them. What's clear is this mantra that the president takes classified evidence seriously um, is really being undermined by not the day, but the hour. I mean, there's nothing in this fact pattern that shows a serious concern for classified material. A serious concern for classified material would have been, once those documents were discovered, saying, I want someone to the clearance, the FBI, to go in and scrub everything and make sure that everything is uh, protected and secured. Instead, they continue to use private counsel, and this went on for a couple of months. And the, the question, again, is why? And I think that when you look at the delay, particularly when the media had knowledge, you sort of have a partial answer of why. The Biden administration has long relied on the media to give coverage, uh, to give cover, I mean. I mean, they you know, they are, felt very confident that the media would have their back. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons you saw with the White House uh, spokesperson, By Jean Pierre, where she said with almost shock to CBS when 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 CBS started asking pointed questions, you know we have a good working relationship. This isn't necessary. It was almost sort of a plea that you know you're forgetting yourself. We're supposed to be working
2: together. So this is something else that people are talking about. First off, there's documents classified. We don't know what's in them. We don't know why he had them. We don't know what prompted the discovery. We don't know why his lawyers are leading the discovery because we know, and to the the former president's detriment, they said, hey, you got our documents. Can you give them back? And he gave some back. And they said, we think you have more. Can we take a look? And they look, and they start disputing what should be taken and what shouldn't be taken. And they say, well, in the meantime, keep it locked up. And they say, we will until we discuss it. And then they said, here's the subpoena. We want all the documents. And they said, well, we're going to get back to you on the subpoena. And they, the FBI got tired of it, and they raided. You could find out problems with the president's conduct and his legal team, but they thought they were in a discussion. They didn't think a raid was even close to imminent. And many people looking back don't, don't think it's even close to necessary. But James Comer says, let's just play this out a little bit further. Forget about the inequities between how two were handled. Think about something else. Cut five.
6: What the American people are going to see from our investigation is a pattern of anonymous donations going to Hunter's business deals, to the Biden Center, to the artwork that Hunter sold at that art gallery in New York. There's a pattern here of anonymous sources of money flowing into the biden's pockets and biden interest and it's very concerning this is a national security risk that's my biggest concern and that's why we're pressing forward with this investigation
2: and the problem is they see the big donation coming from china uh... unsolicited because they say there wasn't solicited uh... they came from china the university of pennsylvania says nothing to do with the biden center but the timing is something that's going to bring in a lot of scrutiny. That's where this could go. It went from the president not handling classified documents in, the, in a legal way to why would these certain documents be let out? What did they say, and who could they have benefited? And do they? when you extrapolate this out, is there a storyline there? Well, you know, what
9: I think is really fascinating also is that people are ignoring what was the original office that the Bidens were going to use. is What we have learned during the Hunter Biden controversy is that negotiations had gone fairly uh, far with Hunter Biden's Chinese associates for them to supply an office for the vice president and his wife to have their names on the door, but funded by this Chinese company. So these documents could have been in a closet that was in an office actually paid for by chinese interests and that deal fell through because of other problems that were beginning to mount for the Bidens. but the fact is that all of these uh controversies the influence peddling controversy the penn biden center they all come back to the same underlying problem influence peddling uh is virtually the leading industry in washington dc but the bidens are standouts I mean, they have taken influence peddling pending to a point that would make most people in the Beltway blush. And what these these scandals are, are really showing is the extent to which the Bidens brought in millions of dollars uh, using uh, Joe Biden's access and influence.
2: And isn't that really what lobbying is? hey, I used to be a lawmaker. I have some contacts. That's why Trent Lott and other people are using some of those contacts to represent major firms, to make some headway with long-time relationships because they know how Washington works. So there could be something there. Number one, we're not going to have this problem again because I know for now on the American public want want some security when it comes to these documents. Number one, a lot of things are on are uh, digital anyway. There's a lot less paperwork, but now on transitions, you're going to have to have security there uh, all the time, especially when one loses and the other wins, or one just term term limits out. Don't you agree, Jonathan? This will not happen again unless somebody's really sinister. I do
9: think that it's going to be there going to be added uh, fail safe systems put into place. Look, you know, the fact is, I don't believe that Donald Trump should have had those documents in Mar-a-Lago. I think there are serious problems raised with how those documents were handled. There are serious problems raised here. You don't have to, you know, say that the cases have to be identical to raise these same questions over judgment and possible national security, you know, vulnerability. The one difference um, with Biden is that at Mar-a-Lago, you had Secret Service uh that were protecting the area plus you had a a storage room that had added security after the fbi requested it that's by no means ideal i still think he was wrong to have it there uh, those documents there yeah um in this case you've got documents scattered in closets and garages that clearly biden had no recollection
10: of
2: yeah i mean but john it's crazy I mean, for him to say it was locked in my garage with a Corvette, it wasn't on the street, is the most insane statement. You wouldn't expect Donald Trump to make such a shot statement uh, on his worst day, let alone a guy with 50 years government experience who was chairman of foreign relations to say it was in my car with my Corvette, a locked garage. I mean, you no, know— it, was, th-
9: it, it, it goes down— it goes down with one of the dumbest political statements ever given by a president. It's right up there with I didn't inhale or the meaning of what is is. Uh, it just, it's going to go down in history as uh, it, perfectly uh, really bizarre for him to say that. Although I have to say that if I went, get, went into his hotel and saw that hot Corvette and a bunch of Ukrainian documents, I'd take the Corvette. Right. But foreign intelligence probably would not make that choice.
2: Very good point. Uh, very good point. And that will come up in your law class, I'm sure. What would you? That would be one of the questions, essay questions. Should you take the Corvette or the top secret documents? And yeah, I'd I po-
9: you if you don't take the
1: Corvette.
2: <laughs> Absolutely, especially since it's been restored. Uh, and my last question to you is, could this thing go silent and then just keep saying, well, sp- special prosecutors looking into it?
9: Well, I think that's what they intended uh, to do. But I think it's going to be hard with the House. You know, we just found out today that they're saying there's no visitor logs on the Delaware residence. that actually doesn't end the headache for the Biden. It may make it worse because the house has legitimate interest in who was in that home, and if you don't have visitor logs, they could seek alternative sources, which means interviewing staff wow. and family as to who was in that house.
2: right. We'll make sure that hunter has a shirt on when he does the interview. um Jonathan Turley, thanks so much. thanks fascinating. Bye. And if you want to stay ahead of this, read Jonathan's columns. He's always a step ahead of everybody. one 408 7669 You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Your time to talk next. Don't move.
1: The fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. How big a mess is this for the Biden administration?
8: It's very, very big. Not legally, but politically, it's a very, very big deal. Uh, you know, this is a president who is marching upward. For the first time in his presidency, numbers up, people are feeling better about the economy. For all sorts of reasons, to believe that he that he can now present himself, the fears that people like me have about how old is he and can he govern well, those fears would be dissipated if he were able to stay on that track. Mm. But now along comes this this, this this gigantic story, which was totally unexpected, and it's knocked that the, the knock for six. Yeah, the original plan.
2: David Gergen, great guy, uh, more leans left and right, but served two pre- uh, Republican and Democratic presidents, says this is potentially devastating. Uh, and I, I agree, too, but I never felt better about him being competent. He's too old, uh, and he's, and I don't think he's been good at all. He's got 44 percent approval rating, but he's right. Things were looking better after that midterm election. William, listening to WTRC in Indiana. William. Morning, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Hey, thanks
3: for taking my call. So first and foremost, it goes back to he was vice president. What was he doing in possession of these documents to start with? No idea. Then we go, then we go on to further. It shows again his incompetence. It show, and this man is leading our country. It shows the incompetence, and I truly believe that it's going to be, again, the same thing, last, the last guy you were talking to, about brushing it off and brushing it off and, oh, yeah, we're investigating it. You know, when when his wife just was, had some uh, melanoma removed, they were hoping that that was going to be the news media story that was going to overshadow everything, and this would just kind of slowly fade away. What's going to end up happening? Nothing like it did to Trump, I can guarantee you that. So it, it mm-hmm. is again. The double standard is: do as I say, not as I do. Um, I we you, have William. laws for us; but,
9: but laws for
2: you. The, this does feel different. It does feel different, and I like to add this: the debt ceiling debate. They want that to overwhelm this story, so they might even play harder ball than they normally would and help shut down the government. That's my worry, Brian Kilmeade. Yeah.
1: news radio studios in midtown manhattan it's the fastest growing radio talk show brian kilmeade
2: Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we are on the road. I'm in Jacksonville, the home of WOKV, in beautiful Jacksonville, Florida, where the Jaguars pulled up one of the greatest upsets you'll see in postseason history. Uh, down 27 nothing to go back to win against uh, the Los Angeles Chargers. And then the Giants come up big, real big, and peel up the upset of the playoffs, beating uh, the number 2 seed Minnesota Vikings on the road. Unbelievable in that deafening stadium. So we have a lot to discuss, of course, it's Martin Luther King Day, which brings us to the Big Three
1: now with the stories you need to know it's brian's big three sponsored by crunch fitness interested in owning your own business in a growing 30 billion dollar industry check out crunch fitness at crunch.com
3: number three and let's say one thing to rest i may be a practicing catholic I used to go to seven thirty mass every morning in high school and then on college
2: before i went to the black church uh. not a joke Andy knows this Andrew Young. Uh, where does the president make this stuff up? Remembering MLK. Today, we remember the Martin Luther King Jr. We'll discuss Dr. King's dream for America, where we stand today. Number two.
4: This is a national crisis. FEMA deals with national crisis. And New York cannot take more. We're pointing the finger where it should be pointed, and that's our national government. This federal is a government. national problem.
2: Yeah, federal government. Just say President Biden, That's the way you do with Mayor Adams. New York City's mayor went to the border and actually saw the illegals, the problems, the problem with the wall. He puts the blame where it belongs. But just mention this president, and he'll get his attention. Also says it's not just a New York problem. It's a Chicago. It's Los Angeles. It's a Charlotte, North Carolina. We have 4 million people came here since President Biden took office. We need these mayors to combine to show outrage to a president that doesn't want to pay attention.
5: Number one, Donald Trump has said from the beginning that he declassified everything and he points to public statements like a tweet that he sent out saying I declassified everything. Joe Biden doesn't have any defenses. He has said that anyone that would do this is incredibly irresponsible. And now we've found out that he's done it four times.
2: DocuDrama Act Four, Saturday, the latest. More classified docs were found on his property and properly stored, and the entire administration is scrambling for acceptable answers. The question is why is the president's team still doing the searching as many of his party defenders and the press go into attack mode, at least for now? Uh, welcome back, everybody. Um, just keep in mind, too, at the bottom of the hour, Mark K nationally syndicated host, also hosts local show here, uh, noon to three on WOKV, will be with us shortly. Uh, Let's go out to Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist, Fox News contributor. Michael, it's pretty hard to overstate how much trouble the president could possibly be in, and that's what you write about Sunday.
10: Uh, Good morning, Brian. Yes, look, I think that the, uh, the number one thing that you can pretty much scratch off now is how in the world could the Justice Department prosecute Donald Trump? for his uh, retention of classified documents if it doesn't prosecute Joe Biden. And, of course, the Justice Department has a rule. uh, It's not a law. It's just an internal rule that uh, you you basically cannot indict a sitting president. So if Biden is out scot-free, then how do you justify going after Trump when it looks like, a, A, as you mentioned, Trump had more right as a president to have the documents. These are documents Arguments that Biden never had a right as vice president to take from his uh, uh, white house office and certainly to have them sitting around for the better part of six years uh, at least I mean, we don't know when exactly he took them so there's a lot we don't know and this idea of having his lawyers do the search uh, is that, is that the new rule i mean do the lawyers have security clearance i mean you know that uh, a lot of this brian i think just points up what I call the fact that Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, is a bitter partisan hack. He has, he has now formalized two systems of justice. This isn't just on the QT. This isn't just sort of wink and nod. This is now out there in the open. We're going to do these two investigations in two different ways, one against the president of the other party we don't like, and the one against our president and, and his son, by the way, uh, which we're trying to protect. Uh, so it, it couldn't be right. more blatant.
2: Here's James Comer, because you do extrapolate more than just, hey, how do these documents get near my Corvette, to what was, uh, how does this relate to China, the Biden Center, and Hunter? Cut five.
6: What the American people are going to see from our investigation is a pattern of anonymous donations going to Hunter's business deals, to the Biden Center, to the artwork that Hunter sold at that art gallery in New York. There's a pattern here of anonymous sources of money flowing into Biden's pockets and Biden interest and it's very concerning. This is a national security risk. That's my biggest concern, and that's why we're pressing forward with this investigation.
2: So that's where this, this is gonna go, because he does not have a friendly house to deal with. So he's gonna keep saying, well, it's being investigated by a special prosecutor. I can't talk about it, but it's not stopping the Republicans from pursuing these these veins of interest.
10: Well, look, I think the special prosecutor is designated only on the document case. Um, and so that's Good that's, point. Good point. Uh, th- that's a w- single thread, really. And what is this other gigantic issue of the Bidens and China and Joe Biden taking money? You know, uh, Tony Bobulinski, uh the former partner to Hunter Biden in these schemes, uh, who met with Joe Biden, uh, he's made an interesting point several times, which is that he now believes that this is no longer – an isolated thing that the that the Chinese companies that came to Biden, it wasn't just a business deal that somehow then the government recognized to be an opening. Rather, Bob Alinsky believes the whole thing is an orchestrated intelligence operation where you have multiple people coming to the Bidens with money, right? Whether it's the businesses, whether it's these, uh, other units of the uh, Chinese intelligence operations smothering the Bidens with wow. money. Yeah. And that this is this is not incidental. This was intentional, that they had targeted the Biden family, that they recognized the family wanted and needed money and would do certain things for it that were compromising. So, at the end of that, Brian, you come to the conclusion that Joe Biden is compromised, that, and I think that's what Comer is looking at. And I, and I think he has, he, he has encouraged me in the sense that he is cut to the chase. This is not necessarily about Hunter Biden, although he's the conduit, or even Jim Biden, the brother. It is about Joe, is that they have targeted Joe through his family. And Joe took the bait. That's where I think Comer is going, and I think it is the heart of the matter.
2: So I want to, I want to go to – so the other thing we're looking at this investigation, the two ways in which they were uh, – they're being handled. and my I think it's really going to work out to President Trump's advantage. I think that it's going to neutralize a major case. Uh, I think that to go after the president, period, is going to divide a country. The attorney general has to think about that. And now he's got a situation where he's got to – uh, he's got another president, a current president, and you got to say, well, I've got no problem with this, but he's got so many more documents there, I'm going to have a problem with that. Uh, he's had it for six years, Trump had it for six months. So we can go back and forth to a point I think it's going to be neutralized. But I want to bring you to something else. I've been following the Twitter files as, as best I can. Some of it's confusing, but Matt Taibbi really sticks out with me because it's not like you called up Mark Levin or Sean Hannity and said, Hey, conservatives! You never believe this this Russian investigation, anyway. Here's some proof. Matt Taibbi, as you know, uh, leans left. He said, "I'm from a long Democratic family." He can't believe there's no interest from other outlets besides ours. Here's his takeaway: what he told Marie on Sunday of what he's learned so far about the entire Russian operation and how the Democrats were actually working Twitter, demanding they take things down uh, uh, immediately. Listen to this. Cut forty-two.
7: I think the major revelation of the Twitter file so far is that we've discovered an elaborate uh, bureaucracy of what you might call public-private censorship. Uh, Basically, companies like Twitter had a system by which they received tens of thousands of requests for action on various accounts, typically through the DHS and the FBI. But these requests were coming from basically every agency in the government. We've seen them from the HHS— uh, from the uh, from the Treasury, from the DOD, uh, even from the CIA, and they will send basically long lists of accounts in Excel spreadsheet files and uh, ask for action on those accounts. And in many cases, uh, Twitter is complying.
2: They're complying, and they're also answering, complying with Adam Schiff. They're complying with Senator Blumenthal. And they talks about how they were told Twitter by Twitter executive this stuff about Russian bots is not true, and they ran with it anyway. Outright lies, and uh, the whole the whole Russia investigation is outlined better than the Mueller report falls short. If anyone wanted to show a connection, you look at these Twitter files. It shows a total deception, poisoning relations with Russia that didn't need poisoning, and number two, just helping to destroy Trump. This is some of the biggest stories It's bubbling underneath the surface and no one's paying attention to.
10: Yeah, I agree, Brian. It, it is remarkable. I mean, the, the Adam Schiff thing was particularly enlightening in the sense that here's a member of Congress who's on the Intelligence Committee, but he can essentially have pick up the phone or have someone in his office uh, call or write to Twitter and say, take down X, Y, and Z uh, tweets because basically I don't like them. They're false uh this is a, the government would not do that by itself, but it's monopolization or effect or or sort of taking over Twitter. Through uh, you know, sort of nice business you have there. Shame if something would happen to it. I mean, this is what the mafia used to do to businesses. You would you would kind of gut them for your own purposes. That's what the government did right. to Twitter. I mean, it even paid Twitter, which is kind of amazing unto itself, but over more than three million dollars. But it used it. To right. to censor the speech that the government didn't right. like, and as you and, say, it came from a number of different aspects of the and government.
2: And get this, Michael, what I did not know until yesterday was when Twitter said no, this is what happened. Cut forty-five.
7: The usual means is uh, they would go to to their friends in the in the corporate press, and uh, Twitter would be hammered by you know uh, mainstream press organizations would say basically Twitter is not doing enough to combat foreign interference. As you know, because you were reporting on it at the time, uh, Congressman Devin Nunes uh, got an extraordinary amount of abuse because it was claimed that the uh, hashtag release the memo was boosted by Russian bots. But we now know, based on stuff that we've seen internally in these emails, that there were no Russian bots. That Twitter was actually telling senators, don't do it, you're going to...
2: And they did it anyway. So when Twitter said, "Yeah, I can't do that," they would get the mainstream media to hammer Twitter. So they were—I'm not saying in my heart should go out to Twitter executives because you know they all went left and they despised Donald Trump, but they—he believes they were underpaid by getting only 3.4 million dollars by the amount of of scrutiny they were under.
10: It, it is a remarkable thing, and um, i I've, I've written about this, Brian, in the sense that without even knowing—I mean, we're only talking about. <clears throat> Twitter, but what about Facebook and and all of the other? What about the search engines? Right? Who was manipulating search engines and for what purpose? Uh, I I think this is a major scandal. It is a it is a modern scandal, exclusively in the sense of using this technology and using the private companies to enforce the government's preferences. Uh, and this is this is clear censorship. And it, I don't, you know, if the Republicans had taken the Senate, uh, I think we'd be in a different place right now. No, no. I think the House has already bitten off a lot of things. And so at some point, I do think there will be this weaponization issue of using... Uh, the private companies to do the government's bidding. But just think about it. This is what the Church Committee did in the mid 70s. It was the CIA, the FBI, the IRS then buying on American citizens. I mean, this is the same thing exactly, only now it's using the technology as kind of the cat's paw to do it with. How this is not a giant scandal. But but, uh, let me answer my own question. Why is it not a giant scandal? Because the mainstream media, as you said, was part of it. And it approves of it because it was silencing conservatives, particularly Donald Trump, or anything they didn't go for. So that's the big difference this time around. In the 70s, the media was hungry for the story. Now it wants the story to go away.
2: Understood. Uh, Hopefully things come to a head. they got to get worse before they get better. Uh, Michael Goodwin, fascinating time to be a columnist and a radio guy. Yeah.
10: Uh, <laughs> yeah, never go hungry.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks so much, Michael. Appreciate it. Thank hey, when we You got it. When we come back, 1-866-408-7669, I'll get some calls in. And then we're going to be, uh, Mark K is going to drop in, give us a few minutes of his time as he gets ready for his show from 12 to 3 on WOKV. He's also syndicated nationwide. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
1: Calisthenics for your brain. It's Brian Kilmeade. information you want truth you demand this is the Brian Kilmeade show
7: a lot of people can't think yes and all not only that but they've had jobs where they've been forced to like all day every day follow the rules you know, listen to the boss, be told when to show up, what to do, and you just get into this drone
1: mindset. And then there there becomes an ideology that everybody in your business shares, and you have to share that ideology or you get pushed out into the fringes of the social
7: group.
2: And he's talking about this whole green movement and how ridiculous it is and the wokeism that's happening in the corporate offices, and how uh, pretty much... He believes it's a liberal brainwashing, and especially for the next generation, they're the ones pushing all this. And if you drill down, which he also did in his show, I had a chance to listen to him a few times on what's going on with electric cars. It's not it. It is. Uh, it's great to have an electric car. You can go make the choice, but just understand the downside is fossil fuels uh, fuels the electricity that fuels those electric cars, and also know we're stripping the earth of its rare earth by definition problematic strip mining. To get, the, to get the metals to make the batteries. So in the long term, we're going to find this whole period folly. And if people just looked at this rationally, instead of like uh, Greta Thunberg, who is a kid, I get it. But off the charts and people worship her, that's not practical for this country. It's not practical. I mean, last week we were talking about what? Getting rid of gas stoves. And now assume we're going to get rid of gas stations. And then soon we're going to get rid of gas cars. It starts in California, and it seems insane. And then suddenly it seems a little less, say, less insane. And the next thing you know, fifty percent of the country is doing it. And if you don't do it, you don't care about you don't care about your children. So that's why Joe Rogan's so valuable. It gets him out of the news. It gets him out of the news business and into the commentary business from a practical standpoint. And that's why a lot of people get some of their news from podcasts. And that's why. So, listen, when we come back, uh, we're not going to just talk about that. We're going to open up uh, to talk about everything going on, including uh, why this city is so aflame in Jacksonville, because the Jaguars, after being bad for so long, are not only back, uh, they've pulled off one of the most dramatic upsets ever. Kay, locally and nationally, will be here. A rising star to bring us insight into Florida and Governor DeSantis and everything else.
1: From his mouth to your, your ears, ears, it's Brian Kilmeade.
5: I think uh, Biden has highlighted his incompetence for the world to see. What you see here is failure. While while the politics in it is lucrative, I, I'm more focused on the practicality of it. I want to know uh, who knew who knew what and when. Uh, were sources and methods compromised? If they were compromised, is the intelligence community what are they doing to to uh, mitigate those? Uh, that is Congressman
2: Tony Gonzalez. He's a common-sense guy on the border, desperate for some attention. Uh, the president's not serious about it, obviously, and it frustrates him. He's also frustrated a lot with the right. But he cannot believe, as his words, incompetence of letting a series of documents sit in somebody's private offices and in their garage for as long as six years. Uh, and we don't know how many more are left. Mark Hayes with us now. Uh, he's, a, he's got a national audience, and most of all, he's got a local audience on WOKV. Uh, Mark, great to see you. Brian, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I mean, we have so, so many issues to discuss, including the Jaguars yeah. game and the big comeback. But we, I was I was taken aback. I watched it all last night, read some of the transcripts. This is the first time that I know that many mainstream outlets are very critical of this president on anything. There may be one or two. There might be a commentator here. Everyone calling him out. I mean, it'll back off at a certain time. Sure
11: but calling him out. Are you, do you feel the same way? Oh, well, we have every every Monday on our show we do the Church of Lyontology where we recap the Sunday morning talk shows on CNN and MSNBC and we just counteract whatever misinformation they're handing there. I can't find any anymore. I mean, we got to change the whole scope of the segment because they are going after Biden. They're telling it like it is, and they're they're really giving. They're putting forth this idea that wow, this is a real big issue. This is a problem. This is you know, especially since he went after Donald Trump so hard. So, Mark, if they do look into your background, yeah.
2: uh, just make sure you get the same deal uh, as they go through your stuff <laughs> and go through your bank records and yeah. your and your secret uh, deposit boxes. That's exactly. Have your right. lawyers go through it. Oh, I spent uh, the weekend. Yeah, do not let the
11: do not let the government go through it. Just say, listen, my lawyers will handle it. How does you- these lawyers get to lead this, Brian. I don't know about you. I spent the weekend going through my garage, yes. making sure I had no top secret documents right. lying around, no old tax returns. Did you move your Corvette out of the garage to I mean, get I, a good look at it? I don't have a Corvette. I'm not. I'm not on Joe Biden's salary. Right. China doesn't pay my uh, my car payments. Uh, but no, it was. It's really shocking because you know I tell my wife. I go, how often do I leave the garage open? Right. You know, uh, all the time you, you come home, you're like, oh, I forgot to leave the garage open. You go to bed, you wake up, the garage is open. There's geckos running around all over the floor because that's what we have in Florida. And I thought to myself, it's just, you know, the irresponsibility of that kind of thing. And then to come back and say, you know what, it's OK, my garage is locked. Um, it definitely seems to me not only that it's an issue, but that there doesn't seem to be on the president's side, at least a whole lot of. Uh, you know, concern that it's an issue, or he, he, he right. seems to be brushing it off, which I think is a problem.
2: Well, yeah, and now he says I can't really. He reads. It, he has, he's reading a statement over and over again. He takes it seriously, and they go on. I don't know what these press conferences are going to be like, but Elon Omar seems to have thrown out MSNBC. They almost bleeped her when she said this. Cut ten.
7: I'm glad that there is a special prosecutor that's been appointed to you investigate You are glad that there is a special yes. prosecutor. Tell me because why. Because anytime there is a deviance uh, in regards to security protocols that should be taken serious, it should Got be it. investigated. Got it, and listen to
2: that. Now, now that we can agree, that's it for Omar. Listen to Adam Schiff, cut nine.
6: I do think it's the right move. Uh, the attorney general has to make sure that not only is justice evenly applied, but the appearances of justice are also uh, uh, satisfactory to the public. And, here, and he's, a,
2: and he's a guy, I mean, I have almost no respect for. <laughs> but I always say, what is the play here? Why are they coming out? Why are they all singing from the same hymn sheet? And a lot of people are writing to me and say, Brian, this is the Democratic Party saying do not get him out before he commits to running for reelection. Yeah, I can't get proof of that. I'm not, but this is what people are thinking. Why is this happening? What does Mark K think?
11: I mean, I'll be, I we hear that a lot from our listeners too. This is Obama. He's, he's decided <laughs> he's done with <laughs> yeah, Joe. Yeah. He's planned the documents all over the place. I feel that, I mean, cause Joe Biden, they really had, they had to pull him out of retirement. They had to convince him, look, if you're not president, it's going to be somebody else that we can't control. We don't know what's going to come out. So we need somebody to beat Trump. You've got the name recognition. They pulled him out of retirement. I feel like they could just have easily told him you're not running again. Right. I don't know that they need to do this to him and really destroy his legacy and his career and his family at the, at the same time so yes that is a theory i've heard the weak theory that it's the republicans i mean the view i think is the only place i've heard that theory but they want you to know it's the republicans who probably put um, them in the planted yeah. these documents right oh because that's what the republicans have been <laughs> waiting around since joe biden was vice president on the off chance he decides to become president to then put these documents in these places but um i don't know i've uh, knowing what I know about Joe Biden I think it could just be idiocy I mean no one's really throwing that out there but it could just be a carelessness on the part of a guy who just didn't take it seriously I think it neutralizes the whole thing
2: and I think it's gonna be very fortuitous for Trump I mean you can we always talk about uh, the leaning left and what's going on in the yeah. FBI but this would be so blatant and because one had it for six years one had it for six months one's got 20 it's probably going to end up being fifty to 100 oh yeah and then Trump's got 300 but Trump uh, uh, Trump pushed back well, Trump gave some back. It's close enough where you have to basically say, when it comes to Attorney General, we've got new systems in place. Let's move on. For Trump, that would leave just the Georgia trial. Right. And in New York, he got fined a million dollars for you and I. That's like a dollar. You write a check and you're done. Yeah. Right. So he's done and he could say he's fighting it, but that's just about done. And then, so you know,
11: he is even with Ron DeSantis in the UMass Amherst poll. Yeah. Can you believe that this could be setting up a rematch? If Donald Trump, I mean, and if you if you think about it, Donald Trump has been interestingly quiet about this whole thing right. and it's that whole I mean, sun- he's putting things on truth social on but- truth social but he's not i mean i know he's got rallies planned and stuff like that but he's not anywhere on the news he's not calling in and he's not like being bombastic the way he usually would be sun tzu always says when your enemy's making a mistake just let him do it and i think he's really excited to see how this plays out because it negates your like you said the last quarter of last year was horrible for trump the first quarter of this year <laughs> is horrible for biden mark Hayes here mark do you believe that your governor's running for president I believe he will probably – I mean, I don't know. He may be sitting back. And people ask me that question all the time. He's a great governor. I don't want to lose him. He'll. A lot of the things he says and a lot of the things he does on a national scale make it seem like, yes, he's making a play for that office. But he also knows Donald Trump. He knows how powerful he can be with the base. And I don't think he wants to do anything that would ruin a chance he has in the future. I would say 75 percent he does run. But he's a smart guy too, and he knows how to he knows how to take the pulse of the nation and also his state. Uh, here in Florida, he'd get the support. But nationwide, do we do the people around the country love him as much as they do as we do here in Florida? It's tough to say at this point. Right. Um. Certainly, people f- do fear him on the left. I yeah. think I was I was at this
2: Al Smith dinner, which is a big thing in New York. Yeah. And I was, uh, and that's when I see Chuck Schumer every year. And I went oh. up to him, and the first thing he says to me is, "You think DeSantis is running?". <laughs> And I'm thinking to myself, wow, where did that come from? I mean that's how worried they are. They're not worried I don't think they're worried about Trump. In fact, I think they back off Trump. They wanna make sure that he runs.
11: Because they think he'll he'll if he doesn't win, their their hope is he'll wreck the room. Well, because DeSantis is, you know, Trump in a suit. You know, DeSantis knows he's from Congress. He's been a governor. He knows how politics works in Washington, D.C. He's got a military record. And he's got all the same ideas and beliefs that Donald Trump had. He's pushing the same Make America Great Again agenda, but he's doing it from a different position. It's not bombastic. And he's got a political background to to back it up. So, of course, Chuck Schumer is worried about that. So, yeah, I guess so. I guess it's kind of early.
2: But the big story in Jacksonville, if you looked at the top five stories everywhere, is the color of the back of that chair? It's all about teal. Gotcha. Teal with it,
11: baby. <laughs> so, so
2: this is this is an example like Green Bay. My yep. humble opinion, uh, like St. Louis, the Cardinals, a baseball team. This city loves the Jaguars. Correct. And could you describe what that meant to the city that that making the playoffs number one, having a twenty-three
11: year old quarterback lead a comeback like that after a hideous first half? well after a hideous last season I mean this city has been through a lot with it's a love hate relationship this has been you know we get a lot of the uh, it's like that it's like that girlfriend or that boyfriend you keep going back to and we've been season ticket holders for a while and a couple of years in there we are just doing it because we're like look we got to invest in the city we don't necessarily want to go to the games who know who can we give the tickets away to but this year with Trevor Lawrence and with Doug Peterson and what they've been able to do winning the last six games getting the home uh, you know the uh, winning the division and getting the home game last uh, on saturday night and then winning in true jaguar fashion a blowout would not (laughs) have been a jaguar game right Uh, coming back from 27 nothing to win it by one point that's a jaguar game but you were there you saw the stadium i mean we don't get crowds like that at that stadium unless it's monster jam or florida georgia you know gravedigger can draw them in But it was loud, it was raucous, it was cold, everybody loved it, and the Jaguars delivered. And for this city, we don't have basketball, we don't have hockey, we have one sports franchise. It's the Jaguars. It's always been the Jaguars. And we're finally, after years and years of investing our time and our effort and our loyalty, seeing an ROI. And people are really jazzed about it. Well, I just thought it was also good, too, is that...
2: Twenty-three-year-old quarterback. After he wins the game with movie star good looks, right? Where does he head? Waffle
11: House. Yes, that's the most duval, man. That's where you go is the Waffle House. So,
2: number, why would you go to the Waffle
11: House? It's on Beach uh, Beach Boulevard, right? Well, there's a lot. Yeah, that's the one he went. to. There's Waffle Houses all over. That is the. I mean, I know you're from New York, but here in the South, Waffle House is the the late night party place. It's where you go. Good times, bad times, funerals. You just won the wild card division. You end up at the Waffle House. Doesn't matter what time it is because they're always open. Hurricane no problem. They got gas grills. They will cook you food. So it made perfect sense to me uh, that Trevor Lawrence went to the Waffle House. Incidentally, a good friend of mine is vice president of Waffle House. He lives up in Atlanta and I send him the picture. I go, here you go. Here's one for the books. Imagine how they benefit from that. Oh, it's amazing. And by the way, doesn't that you know him. You probably read about him all the time. I don't.
2: But I remember the leadership he showed in college when he wanted to get these guys playing again during the pandemic. Uh, He comes out and he says, we need to play. And he played. And he could have used that eligibility and just sat back. Instead, he took a leadership role. So he gets drafted first overall. They don't win the national championship. Gets married before he leaves. Yeah. Seems more mature than I can imagine. But a lot of times those guys don't pan out. And now it turns out he doesn't want to go party after the biggest win of his career.
11: He just wants to eat. They I mean, look, He worked up an appetite, let's be honest. But this guy is is the the moral center that you want at a football team this guy as you said family man married young and he is a leader everybody on the team loves this guy you see see, my wife follows them all they all go fishing on the weekends it's like him and zay jones and etienne they've been best buds for six years you can really sense that with doug peterson when you go out there it's a family and we've had our problems we've had our jalen ramsey good corner not necessarily the most team oriented truck yeah he was all about himself we had you know justin blackman for a season and that didn't end out well um and then of course the urban meyer debacle last year so we're really excited to see not only do we have a good team on the field but we got a good team in the locker room we got a good team in the community just good guys who are all excited to play and they're playing really well
2: and here's the thing about football which is so much better than baseball and i come from a big city you, you have a shot at winning, man, how big or small your city is, yeah I mean that's why Green Bay's in contention, and they get free agents to the smaller markets too, yeah because they got salary cap. and you can expand it, you can go buy it, you can move around it. and that's what makes I think football they got started and start with a salary cap. Baseball doesn't want to accept it, and then the rich teams ignore the luxury sacks, yeah. So the Pittsburgh Pirates, the Marlins are always going to struggle. The great teams like Tampa, who just can put together this great farm system, yeah. defy logic. But the Yankees are around three hundred million. You have the Dodgers, the same thing, and the Pirates of forty million. It's it's hard to imagine the same team. That's not the problem in football.
11: No, we spent big on Christian Kirk. Uh, We picked up Evan Ingram. Uh, we picked from up this, the Giants yeah we from the Giants which and I remember when Evan Ingram was on the Giants I was like get him out of here but this guy these are guys that are getting a second chance yeah. really our team it's either it's either brand new recruits or people getting their second chance and everybody wants to prove themselves and Doug Peterson's put together a way that they can and I know Evan Ingram wants to come back and I'm pretty sure he'll get a, a very lucrative mm. contract to do that he was one of the stars of the game so you're right it's really uh you know it's really an interesting system we've got here but we're excited even if it's just this year we're excited right. for it but we think it's probably a couple years uh we've, we've got some good runs coming
2: so spark about good runs you're on another one you continue to have one who's coming up on this show today
11: oh well as on Mar- your show on my show well, i don't know what are you doing in an hour you want to come down <laughs> <laughs> well listen we've got of course, we've got, of course martin luther king uh, junior day that we're going to talk about i don't know if you've been working with chat uh, the AI program, all this artificial inte- intelligence, which they say 93% of the content on the internet will be written by artificial intelligence. So I'm letting them write the majority of my show today. Fantastic. We'll walk through some of that. So we don't know who the real Marque is. <laughs> you never mm-hmm. really do. You know, I like to be an enigma. Yeah. And then, of course, we've got more on uh, Joe Biden. I'm, I'm unveiling my latest project, the Joe Biden Top Secret Documents Notebook later today. Really? Yeah. So because, you know, Joe Biden leaves his Top Secret Documents everywhere else, I want America to have the chance to do so. So we're right. making notepads out of Top Secret documents. Uh, We've got a lot of stuff. We're going to play some games. We're going to have a lot of fun. Should be an exciting uh, couple of hours. So, and where will you store this notebook? Near, you know, you don't have a Corvette. You'll put it in your garage when you're not on the air? I'm going to put it in the garage. I'm going to, well, I mean, what kind of car? That's the, uh, what do I have? I think I have a Lincoln. Yeah. Maybe next to the minivan. Probably no one's going to look <laughs> near the minivan. Right. And right under the Christmas decorations. But look, I don't want to tell you because the FBI will come and raid it. And then there goes my whole, there goes right. my whole kids' college fund. But well, they raid pretty regularly, Mark. <laughs> and they,
2: they have never, they always walk away empty handed. Which is great news, Mark. <laughs> thanks so much for coming in and uh, letting me use
11: your studios. Cause... By the way, yeah, your coffee should be here now. I so you ordered
2: milk... you ordered me
11: and uh, you ordered me a Starbucks coffee, but you don't get it. I don't. What do you mean I don't? Oh, look here it is right here. Oh Ladies my you know, goodness! This is Hannah, my producer. Hannah, and thank you very much. You're there's welcome. your almond milk latte that you ordered from Starbucks. Uh, we, you almost, in a bag. You by almost didn't way, this make the good. cut. Thank I wrote you. Thank so you so much. I wrote to you. You took like seven and a half minutes to write me well, back. Well, I'm on the air. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you don't. But I owe you now. When you come to New York, I'm almond milk
2: latte or whatever you choose is yeah. on me. All right. I'll All see right. you next week. All right. Fantastic, Mark. Great. Congratulations on your success, by the way. Oh, thank you All so right? much. All right. And get ready. Uh, Mark's going to get in the shower. He's going to get for his show shortly if you're in one of the affiliates to carry Mark's show. Uh, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move.
1: Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
4: No city deserves this. El Paso does not deserve this. Chicago, Washington, Houston, Los Angeles, New York. No city deserves what is happening. This is a beautiful city and what has happened over the last few months undermined this city. And what is happening in Chicago right now in New York in Houston in Los Angeles and Washington, our cities are being undermined and we don't deserve this. Migrants don't deserve this. And the people who live in the cities don't deserve this. We expect more from our national leaders to address this issue in a real way.
2: How about the president of the United States and Mayorkas? Uh Mr. Mayor, I give you so much credit for going down there. I've been saying to do that a year ago. You go down there, people pay attention. That's why a Democratic mayor of El Paso bussing 5,000 to New York, 4,000 to Philadelphia and Chicago makes a difference because the president knows you can't say it's pure politics. You say it's pure practicality. While you land— migrant flights at 2 in the morning in Westchester County Airport or in Jacksonville, Florida. We know this is happening. They're taking illegal immigrants. Now, Mr. Mayor, the way you go to battle to get rid of the bail uh, the no cash bail law and I appreciate that and hopefully people will eventually listen, you have to do the same way with sanctuary cities because you, Chicago, Los Angeles, the Houston, you're all sanctuary cities. So because you sit there, that becomes a magnet. That becomes commercials rolling in these other countries saying, come to New York. You can stay in a luxury hotel and eat for free. You'll be processed and given a bag that includes Nikes and toiletries. And then eventually somebody will hire you. If you could put your foot down on that, get E-Verify, it'll begin to allow things to come down to the border. And then you make the president build up the border and put up the wall, the fence, the barrier that we all paid for. But I love that he went down. I love that he went to the bad sections of the border, not the sanitized part that the president went to. Just go the rest of the way, Mr. Mayor. Brian Kilmeade, Show.
1: From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Hey, thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, Martin Luther King Day. uh, A great American who's getting recognized. It's hard to believe when you really think back. He would have been 94, uh, but uh, and died gunned down at 38, uh, 39 years old, and see how much he accomplished. We'll talk about that. Race in America, we'll discuss it. Uh, Also important, the President of the United States is going to make some remarks. Yesterday, uh, he went to uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, address. Uh, and he'll make remarks today to his church. He'll make remarks today at the National Action Network's annual The Dream Defined Breakfast at the Mayflower Hotel. But we know there's other things on his mind. We have a good uh, a good couple of guests today. Standing by, Congressman Mike Gallagher. Uh, and uh, Brett Bear at the bottom of the hour. And we'll take your calls, one 408 7669 So let's get to the Big Three.
1: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three.
3: Unless let's one thing to rest. I may be a practicing Catholic. I used to go to 7.30 Mass every morning in high school and then on college before
2: I went to the black church. Not a joke, Andy knows this. None of this stuff has ever proven true. And that's Andy Young, Andrew Young. Uh, Unbelievable. Remembering MLK today, remember his life. We'll discuss Dr. King's dream for America and where it stands. Number two.
4: This is a national crisis. FEMA deals with national crises. And New York cannot take more. We're pointing the finger where it should be pointed. And that's our national government. This is a national problem.
2: Yes, at the president of the United States, Mr. Mayor, go the next step. That's the way you do it. New York City's mayor went to the border and actually saw the illegals, saw the problem, saw the gaps in the fence, saw El Paso and the homeless situation and how it's being overrun. Democrat to Democrat, as an American, they know they have a problem. But, Mr. Mayor, you could do one thing to help New York, but you're not.
5: Number one. Donald Trump has said from the beginning that he declassified everything, and he points to public statements like a tweet that he sent out saying, I declassified everything. Joe Biden doesn't have any defenses. He has said that anyone that would do this is incredibly irresponsible and now we've found out that he's done it four times
2: it's unbelievable on saturday they found more documents uh docudrama number four and they found it on his property the question is why is the president's legal team still doing the searching as many of his party defenders in the press go into attack mode Uh, With me right now to discuss that and our attack against China, which could unify this country, Uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher. uh, He's on intelligence, transportation, infrastructure, and armed services. Congressman, welcome back.
12: Great to be with you, Brad.
2: First off, do you find it strange? Out of all the investigations I've had, I've never heard a legal team from who's being investigated being allowed to collect the evidence.
12: It's just crazy. You'd think now would be a time in light of the ongoing investigation of President Trump and the raid of Mar-a-Lago where they would feel like they have to go above and beyond in terms of transparency with this investigation. And thus far, what we've heard from the president has been the opposite of reassuring. I mean, this nonsense where he gets up there and says, well, hey, my Corvette's in a locked garage. I mean, come on. It's just the truth how little he knows about how you handle classified information. I mean, unless his garage is itself a sensitive compartmented information facility or SCIF, then that's not a defense at all. Think about just in your own life. What do you keep in your garage? I don't keep, you know, my daughter's birth certificates or any tax documents. You know, I got a I got a snow thrower. I got a lawnmower. I got some assorted uh, kids' bicycles in there. I don't have anything of value that I store in my garage out of security. So, it's just crazy. They need to do better. And I think what the American people are most concerned about is not only just the national security implications, but this sense of, of a double standard. You know, that, that's what drives people absolutely crazy. It's the hypocrisy and the double standard that really drives ordinary Americans here in Wisconsin crazy.
2: Uh, absolutely. So you were a Marine, right?
12: Yes, I was a Marine counterintelligence and human intelligence officer. So let's I a lot say – I'm thinking you know, about this
2: stuff. Right. So, so let's say that you decided – you know, I had some great memories of collecting intelligence. I think I'm going to bring them home with me. Uh, so just so I don't forget how great that intelligence was. It, what if they were in the Gallagher estate? With, how would the Marines look at that?
12: Well, I'd go to jail. I mean, that, that would be a clear violation of, of U.S. law, as well as the, you know, the, the oaths you take when you get a top-secret SCI clearance. In fact, we have recent precedent of, government contractors, uh, service members mishandling classified information and being punished for it. And remember, this is a, a violation of law that does not require malicious intent. The standard is gross negligence. So merely doing it, whether or not you intended something bad for U.S. National security is enough for grounds of, of violation. And again, the, 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 the vice president, because in this case, this is uh, Biden acting as vice president, is not exempt from those laws that a, a captain or, or a first lieutenant uh, in the Marine Corps handling intelligence would be exempt from. And there, I think you played a, a clip from John Ratcliffe. He's absolutely right that at least, and I'm not saying either of these incidents are good, right? We we don't want the president, regardless of whether he's part of your party, to mishandle classified information. But Trump at least has the theoretical defense that he has the power to declassify documents, which is true. And Vice President Biden did not have that power.
2: So I know one of your focuses, I was heartened by the fact I think over 100 100- uh, 118 people, uh, Democrats in the House, voted to support your special committee, uh, select committee on China, because China's trying to infiltrate every aspect of our lives. Uh, and one of the places they made the greatest progress and have the greatest impact is the money they're pouring into these colleges. Uh, the Penn Biden Center had $14 million gift in 2018. We don't know what Joe Biden knew about it, what, he, what it has anything to do with him, but the timing seems to be something worthy of an investigation uh, and they put overall $30 million into the University of Pennsylvania. It's amazing inter- how much interest they have in our education system. Does that worry you? And do you think there's a link, Should be an investigation should happen?
12: Absolutely worries me. Absolutely, an investigation should happen. And it's related to a broader issue we're hoping to get at on the Select Committee on China, which is our universities are desperate for Chinese money. And they're susceptible, therefore— to malicious influence from the Chinese Communist Party. Back in the the Trump administration, they started enforcing something called Section 117 of the Higher Education Act, which requires colleges to report foreign gifts and donations over $250,000. And what they discovered when they started enforcing Section 117 of the HEA was over $6.5 billion in previously unreported foreign gifts, grants, and contrast, And what happened when the Biden administration took office is that the number of foreign gifts reported has plummeted, which doesn't add up. So either the foreign money shut off or they're simply not enforcing that section of the law. I've repeatedly written to Secretary Cardona to fix this loophole, but the, our university is just awash in foreign money. And Chinese students and Chinese grants are very lucrative for these uh, these universities, and that makes them susceptible to censoring certain uh, certain uh, classes or centers that may put the CCP in a bad light uh, that makes them susceptible to espionage from students with PLA affiliations that's something we absolutely need to investigate and demand more transparency from the executive branch on.
2: so I understand you're also taking aim at Disney you announced uh, a plan to summon the now the, the old and now new CEO of Disney uh, and the NBA Commissioner Adam Silver to appear in front of your committee to talk about the role they're playing with China and what they mean to their league and that organization. What are you looking for? What worries you?
12: Well, you know, first of all, I admit the complexities involved on the economic side of this whole thing, right? For two decades, you know, over two decades, really three, we've been telling American businesses, hey, go to China, uh, do business with them, let's integrate China into the global economy. It will moderate their behavior. And now we're realizing too late— that that was a massive, massive mistake, one of the biggest intelligence failures in recent America. And that was Henry
2: history. Kissinger, too, right? I mean, that was Bill Clinton, Henry Kissinger, both parties. So he said, if we bring these people in and show them a market economy, democracies and uh, don't fight each other. So we think we could get them there, and we were wrong.
12: A hundred percent, right? Clinton actually had this phrase when he was arguing for uh, China's accession to the World Trading Organization. You know, he's talking about hey, good luck trying to keep the internet out of China. That's like trying to nail Jello to a wall. Well, they kind of figured out how to nail Jello to a wall in that they control yep. the internet in China. They control all these tech companies. They control TikTok. They control WeChat, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of naive assumptions that led us to where we are, but we are where we are. So for Hollywood, for Disney, for major American corporations that want access to the Chinese market – I want them to just be honest with us about the pros and cons uh, of doing business there. And and I, I want to ask hard questions about what the American people are seeing because the American people see Hollywood censoring certain movies so as not to offend the Chinese Communist Party. They see the NBA you know, bending the knee to Xi Jinping so that nobody says anything bad about the CCP taking over Hong Kong. They see Disney doing something similar, and I think they're offended by that. We want – American companies to stand up for American values. If they want to make a buck in China, that's fine, but don't do anything that's hostile to freedom of speech in America, freedom of religion, or allows the Chinese Communist Party to get away with genocide and military modernization.
2: I mean, think about this though, too, is that never comes up. You know, the crazy thing is with this war on terror, you got to treat the Muslim community with great respect, and we should. You got to watch the Quran, you got to put it in a certain way, and we always should. And now we have another situation where you take tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Muslim Uyghurs, and you put them in a concentration camp, you try to convert them. If not, you torture them, harvest their organs, and Saudi Arabia is meeting with the Chinese leader. I mean, you can't have it both ways. And also, you can't be so condemning of America and at the same time shut your mouth when it comes to China. And I think that they should be called out aggressively for it. And they better be willing to defend. They have to be willing to defend themselves.
12: I completely agree with that. And the fact is there's recent laws that have been passed that all of these companies, particularly anything, any company that has a manufacturing presence in China, are going to have to deal with. We passed something in recent years called the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, and it effectively requires companies to certify that their supply chains don't involve slave labor in Xinjiang province. So whether these companies like it or not, they need to be in compliance with the law. And, you know, I I think a a lot of what we on the committee intend to do is I want this to be – A bipartisan forum. I don't want it to be a a silly space where people get their, you know, three minutes of fame and, you know, they want to get on, you know, Fox News by being, you know, thrown fire and brimstone. But we're going to have to ask hard questions. And I actually think there's bipartisan support in Congress for making sure that American money, American technology, American innovation doesn't subsidize genocide and doesn't allow the Chinese Communist Party to, Uh, potentially kill Americans in a future war. We just don't want to subsidize our own destruction, and we want to make sure that America is on the best footing to win this new Cold War. So,
2: Congressman, you must be pleased. When When I talked to you about a month ago, you said right now there's no Democrat who wants to serve in this committee. What's the situation now?
12: I, we got a lot of interest uh, by, and not just by you know, a, a, you know, a random pool of Democrats, but by Democrats that have backgrounds in national security and foreign Go policy. Ahead. You know, there's this concern on the far left that this is going to be a platform for anti-Asian rhetoric. That that's silly. It's not going to happen. We're going to tease out how. You know, Asian-Americans are one of the primary victims of the CCP. The Chinese people are the primary victims of the CCP, and this is going to be a serious effort. So a lot of Democrats who want to be involved, and we had a big, overwhelming bipartisan vote, 365 people in the U.S. House of Representatives. That's a great way to start. So
2: when are you going to know who's going to be actually do it or if they're going to be held back by leadership?
12: Hopefully this week. I'm hoping to get our members this week. I'm also actively recruiting our best and brightest on the Republican side, so— I'm ready to get rolling, but I need members to do mm-hmm. it. I need, you know, committee space. But hopefully this week we'll lo- we'll know more.
2: So to tell us for 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 the layman, the Chips Act, why it's historic and where it falls short. Because I understand it was a Republican idea, and it got bipartisan support to be implemented, and it is hurting China's manufacturing.
12: Well, the thing that's really hurting Chinese manufacturing is some of the export controls that have been put in place by the Commerce Department after the chips act which i actually welcome i think for the chips act in specifically there's a question of whether the subsidies to american chip manufacturers will have their intended effect in the timeline necessary within the next five years are we going to see this explosion of domestic fabs and my concern is that unless we also commit to really radical regulatory reform it's going to be very very difficult to get these fabs up and running. The other thing, as we're seeing in every space, not just chips, but infrastructure in general, is where do you get the human beings to build these things? Whether it's a chip fab, or a road, or a bridge, uh, or you know, building more Virginia-class subs a year, or more small surface combatants in my district, the biggest constraint to growth and to onshoring here, in many ways, is just the lack of human beings with the requisite skill set and work ethic that can pass a drug test and show up to work every single day. So it's bound up in this bigger workforce challenge, which I think is essential to us successfully right. competing against China over the long term.
2: The latest series of crisis that they have, and I'm up against a break, but now all those people that were hired to enforce zero COVID restrictions are now out of a job, and they're now rioting in the streets. What do your reports say that you can share with us about China's Society. I mean, there's a huge unemployment. Young people don't want to work, and we understand that we saw the unrest with the freedom and the crackdowns and zero COVID. Now the zero COVID people say now we have no jobs. What are you hearing?
12: Well, two quick points. We tend to, you know, the the neo-engagers, the people that just want to go back to business as usual with China, tend to ignore the Chinese people and their aspirations uh, and, and their dreams. And so we want on this committee to speak directly to the Chinese people and constantly make that distinction between the Chinese Communist Party uh, and and the people. The second point is over the long term, really over the next decade, Xi Jinping faces a massive demographic problem. He's got more retirees than any society in human history. So that's a huge challenge. But it's a big but. It could make him more aggressive in the near term, make him more willing to risk war by taking Taiwan. So we have to monitor these things very, very carefully Mm -hmm. and make sure that our foreign policy is strong.
2: And there's no successor. He's eliminated all of them, so they live and die with him. Uh, Thanks so much. Congressman Gallagher, you're always a great guest. Appreciate it. Best of luck getting some Democratic support on your select committee. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. You got it. Uh, Back with your calls, Brian Kilmichell. So glad you're here. 1-866-408-7669.
1: Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Hey, we are back. Brett Bear joining me in about seven minutes, but now it's your turn. Let's go to Dean listening on WABC in New Jersey. Hey, Dean.
13: Brian, how's it going? You know, I, I so distrust this media, and I know that uh, I, I could fall into the trap of saying, wow, they're finally going after Biden. That, that, that's not it. So I'm What do you think it what, is? Here's what I think it is. They have so much to go after Biden for, and they're picking a, a, a documentation where I store documents that, that he wanted to, to take out of the White House. That's not it. They could go after him after uh, you know with the laptop. They could put him in jail. Anybody can give, go to jail for what what he did with the laptop, and it's so much easier to take him out with that. But they want to take him out the same way they want to take Trump out. Trump is the goal in this whole thing. They don't care about Biden. They'll sacrifice Biden. They'll sacrifice anybody to go after Trump and take Trump out. So they. But I, this actually, bad.
2: but guys, this actually makes him look makes Trump look better. I mean, it neutralizes Trump. It keeps him alive.
13: Unless, unless they go after Biden and take Biden out for the same thing that Trump did. And then they could say, well, we're doing the same thing, just what the Republicans want. We're treating them both the same way. And then they go after Trump.
2: Well, it could. I mean, there's a lot of theories. but No one one thinks uh, it's as it appears. They think there's another move. Another move behind the scenes, a greater plan. And why is it? Well, one thing's pretty clear. They get new documents every day. And those documents get closer and closer to the number of documents that Trump has, which means that this makes Trump look better. Maybe they want that.
1: Audio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade.
8: I think the real interesting part of the special counsel investigation, more interesting than the documents themselves, so we don't know what they are right now, so we're only speculating, will be. Who made that decision? Ron Klain make that decision? Who made the decision not to disclose? Not to disclose. Did Ron Klain make the decision? Did the president make the decision? Who made the decision to not tell the American people six days before an election? And if Donald Trump had not told people six days before an election, what would the conversation be about right now? I guarantee you it would be about cover-up.
2: And that's true. And I thought that was an interesting angle. He always gives interesting points. And of course, Chris Christie has been very critical of the former president of late. With me right now, Brett Bear. Brett, uh, welcome back. Good Hey, Brett. so in the interim since we last spoke, I think there's been three document dumps. I guess on Saturday, you thought they would take the weekend off from looking into the estates of Joe Biden, but they found a few other documents. What I find most striking is that his lawyer, his legal team is still allowed to look through his stuff. I thought somebody else would be taking this over.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, at the FBI obviously was involved in looking at all of the Mar-a-Laga documents, uh, and the question is... Are the lawyers even – do they have the classification? Do they have the clearance uh, to be looking through these documents? I don't know that we know that. And uh, it's just handled night and day differently than the former president.
2: So one thing this is uh, Bob Bauer the, uh, in today's Axios. He talks about his personal attorney released the backstory. The backstory is they were looking to move him out November second, and University of Pennsylvania says, "You tell me if I'm wrong here, Brett, because you're following this extremely close too." Uh, they, they there's no they didn't tell the Bidens to clear out the the clear out the office. They did this on their own, and then when they stumble on the classified items. That's when they called the archives who called the Department of Justice, and when they went through the garage and found the, found the paperwork with the top secret classification, then they called in people uh, the president's attorney, and then he came in. But you're allowed to stumble on something without clearance. You just can't pick it up. I'm pretty sure I'm not sure if, if that's been been stated yet, but that seems to be the protocol.
0: Yeah, but once you're on your second batch of documents, maybe there are other documents. And uh, now we're on our fourth. So it's kind of been, you know, interesting. I, you know, every answer from the White House is the president takes handling classified material very seriously. Well, each time there's a new batch, there's a new question. Really? He does? Because it doesn't appear in the way that this is kind of evolving uh, that that was a high priority.
2: Well, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is CBS broke the story in January. But their indications are they might have known about it in November. And the other thing is November 2nd is before November 8th. I just looked at the calendar to confirm. November 8th is a midterm. And that's what Chris Christie's getting at. Whose decision was it to delay this rather than just say, I just got to tell you, we came across these documents. Joe Biden wasn't on the ballot. But Donald Trump and his supporters, the Donald Trump's handpicked candidates were— and he Don and Obama and Biden were saying how these disdocument case is a big thing and shows how the MAGA Republicans can't be trusted or stopped. So it did play a role in the rhetoric.
0: One hundred percent. I mean there were some Democratic candidates who put that as part of their ads about the handling of, of documents and all the Mar-a-Lago dust up. So, you know, you can't say I don't think you can quantify how many votes it shifted but right it, it definitely it definitely impacted
2: i want you to hear what david gergen said as you know he served as a key advisor national security advisor for republicans and democrats in the white house president uh, presidents listen
11: how big a mess is this for
2: the biden administration
8: it's very very big not legally but politically it's a very very big deal um, you know this is a president who was marching upward for the first time in his presidency, he's got his numbers up. People are feeling better about the economy. There are all sorts of reasons to believe that he could, that he can now present himself. Uh, the fears that people like me have about how old is he and can he govern well, those fears will be dissipated if he were able to stay on that track. Mm. But now along comes this this, this this gigantic story, which was totally unexpected, and it's knocked, that, uh, knocked for six yeah. the original plan. So, I mean, David Gergen is not looking to rip Joe Biden.
2: Uh, he's somebody, you know, uh, to me, he leans left. But how significant is his statements and assessment?
0: I think it's significant. I mean, it's any of those kind of elder statement, statesmen of politics when they say things. Dan Balls with the Washington Post, uh, David Gergen, others. I think it's uh, it's definitely significant politically and one in which you know, the White House is going to have to deal with, uh, and it hurts the president. I think there are Democrats out there looking at the president saying this story actually makes him more vulnerable than they thought he was.
2: And might be just like they're looking at Trump and say, should I run against Donald Trump? They might be saying, should I run against Joe Biden? A different story November 10th when it looks as though when he holds the Senate and and he barely uh, loses the House as maybe right now, because we also don't know what other documents are going to be found and what links they're going to have to the University of Pennsylvania and possible China. Have you gone there yet? Uh, Brett, do you feel as though that that is a path that needs to be investigated?
0: Well, 100 percent. I mean, you need to know what the documents are. I thought one of the interesting first answers the president gave was, my lawyers told me not to ask about the documents. Well, what do you mean? You <laughs> had <have> the documents. <laughs> You were using them. You don't know what they are, and your lawyers told you not to ask about it? It doesn't make sense. And the fact that there's a special counsel for both the former president and Mm -hmm. now the president is, uh, you know, politically tough.
2: Brett Bear helping us out here. Uh, Brett, when it comes to illegal immigration, I was struck by the bipartisan Senate committee. I guess I'm trying for hope uh, that went down to the border to assess what it was really like to include Senator Kelly and Senator Sinema and Senator Murphy on the left. And then I see Eric Adams, who says he's got 40,000 illegals here, 5,200 just from El Paso. The mayor of New York City went down there and he went to the bad parts. He actually saw illegal immigrants. He saw the gaps in the fences. Cut 26.
4: No city deserves this. El Paso does not deserve this. Chicago, Washington, Houston, Los Angeles, New York. No city deserves what is happening. This is a beautiful city. And what has happened over the last few months undermined this city. And what is happening in Chicago right now, in New York, in Houston, in Los Angeles, and Washington, Washington, our cities are being undermined, and we don't deserve this. Migrants don't deserve this, and the people who live in the cities don't deserve this. We expect more from our national leaders to address this issue in a real way.
2: He didn't mention the president. He's a Democrat. The El Paso mayor is a Democrat. But this is something that might be able to move the needle. He, the expected number of encounters in December, an all-time high, 250,000, let alone the gotaways. There are millions of people here that don't belong. The border's virtually collapsed. How significant is a Democratic mayor making that speech?
0: Well, it's very significant. You saw Gavin Newsom from California, the governor, going to the border saying Democrats need to push this issue, address this issue. The White House did not. They didn't talk about it for a long time. They didn't put it as a high priority. And those cities along the border, like El Paso, are overwhelmed. They can't take it. El Paso is one of the mayors, one of the local jurisdictions that sent migrants to other cities. And Mayor Adams is correct. It is a big problem, but it's only being shared that way because the border is getting those migrants to other places.
2: It's going to be big. It's going to be interesting Uh, and see where it goes. Uh, Brett, can't thank you enough for joining us. Uh, Special report tonight at 6?
0: You bet. We'll be there.
2: All right, uh, Brett Bear, it's going to be a big week. Uh, make sure you're listening uh, to Fox News and, of course, this show. Brett Bear. thank you. When we come back, we'll finish up with your calls, one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine In beautiful Jacksonville, Florida, where the Jaguars pulled up a mam- mammoth upset on Saturday, big comeback, and then the Giants uh, pulled off up the upset of the weekend against Minnesota. And, of course, everything else that's important, you don't want to miss a minute, Brian Kilmeade
1: show coming to you on a need-to-know basis because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
2: Welcome back. Special thanks to everyone here in Jacksonville, WOKB Studios. It's just fantastic here, uh, and everyone went out of their way, got up early. For many, it was a day off just to make sure everything was set. Uh, And for Josh, Pete, and Allison uh, doing such a great job. But I'm just realizing I'm checking my watch. I think it's time to see. Uh, And we'll take some calls on the back end. Well, time to see if you need to know more.
1: More to know. Sponsored by Unplugged. Reclaim your privacy from big tech snooping with Unplugged. Visit Unplugged.com.
2: While many of you misguided Americans were focusing on football, I was focusing on Miss Universe. And the winner is... Our Bonnie Gabriel will tell you what's unique about her, the 71st Miss Universe competition, after we hear her win.
1: The new
10: Miss Universe is...
2: So she's a Filipino-American, the first to win uh, Miss USA on Saturday night in the international beauty pageant in New Orleans. Uh, She's a fashion designer, model, and sewing instructor from Texas. Beat out 83 others. Good job. Next, Uh, some of the many great games. Giants win 31-24 over the Vikings. Daniel Jones, uh, unbelievable. Uh, Rant rush for over 70 yards. Pass for over 300 yards, two touchdowns. They'll play the Eagles next. Saquon Barkley, 53 yards. But if you watch the game, you knew how valuable he was. They'll play 815 on Saturday. I'll be able to stay up and watch. But that is trouble because it clashes with one nation. Oops, next. Bengals Sam Herbert scores the Ravens fumble to help Cincinnati win over Baltimore 24-17. So Baltimore's about to score. They're playing without Lamar Jackson. And then, keep in mind, Tyler Huntley, not much experience, goes to dive in, but he put the ball up in the air when he's supposed to go down. Listen to what happened as the result.
11: Put them right around, Huntley, he reaches, oh, that ball's out, that's live! Back the other way, Sam Hubbard,
4: the Cincinnati kid! Hubbard's got a convoy, chased by Andrews! At the 30, the 20, he will score!
2: 14-point swing gave the Bengals a 24-17 lead and eventually the victory. Uh, Other news, Miami Dolphins' Mike McDaniel kind of blew it, a delay of game call when it was fourth and one. Uh, He didn't get the call in time and ends up being fourth and six, a five-yard penalty. He said he made a mistake. Uh, I want you to hear, if we can, uh, Josh, McDaniel, explain what happened with the delay of game.
7: It was communicated to me through the upstairs from the headset, I think. I was standing by an official. I had just gotten convicted information that it was first down. Um, so I, I don't really know exactly who it was from. It was probably the first time all year that that had happened, so you try to do your best as it was. I thought we had a 4th and 6th opportunity that we were unable to come up with as well, so 4th um, and 1 most of the time is easier than 4th and six. but at the same time you just have to adjust to whatever variable is put out there. and. I think we had a chance at the fourth and six
2: as well. Well, number one, I never expected Miami to be so uh, Miami to be so close. Final score thirty-four, thirty-one. The Bills did not look good compared to what they're supposed to be. They got to get it together for next week. They've been through a lot. I understand it. Next, now something that really needs to be addressed. And I should have led with this: Who is uh, deciding where I should read this? The best of the potato chips, top five, mouth-watering crisps, most recommended by experts. And true, there are potato chip experts out there who don't get enough credit. Number five, Ruffles Cheddar and Sour Cream. Yes, two flavors. Then number four is Just Ruffles. So the people of Ruffles had two reasons to celebrate. Are they a separate division, the Cheddar and Sour Cream, or Just Ruffles lives on the west side and the east side? Is ch- so I think they should both go to the same Christmas party. Number three, Cape Cod Originals. What's that? Zapp's Voodoo Chips? I've never seen them. And Lay's Potato Chips. The thing that gets me about Lay's, sometimes they hurt. I mean, they can, they're so fine. They become little, very, very sharp objects. But congratulations to all potato chips who, uh, who participated. Again, Pringles came up with the technology to stack them. How they're not in the top five, I don't know. Next. 7 in 10 Americans make sure to have snacks with them at all times. That, according to a poll of 2,000 people, 70% admit that they always bring some kind of snack. At least three times a week, over 51% will even fill up on snacks. How dare you? You were told not to. In fact, 6 of 10 people confess that their first choice of snack is a sugar or salt-laden one, with the most popular choices being, again, back to potato chips, 56%, Chocolate, 55%, and candy, 45%. Again, you can run with that study. Good luck at your next barbecue. You'll be the only fascinating person there. Next, scientists at the University of Otago in New Zealand reveal that children who don't get enough sleep eat more calories than their well-rested peers. Next, two-thirds of parents agree kids have it much better today. This is fascinating. A random study by Disney Mini Brands of 2,000 parents and children, 5 to 18, say two and three parents admit their kids' childhoods have been much better than theirs because they believe their children have more opportunities in life, 65%, more access to tech, 57%, and more affection than they did as kids, 56%. We're reflecting on their youth. 83% are glad they grew up in an era they were born in. Uh, And by the way, uh, a similar percentage think growing up in this year is much harder than they were as a child. If time travel were possible two and, th- and I don't think it is I'm going to look into this I'm going to Google it after two and three Americans would transport themselves back to their childhoods I would not uh, for one what, and that's is there, clear. what's a
12: piece of tech that
13: your children have access to that you would that you can look at and say man if I only had that you could have done this this or that
2: I, I don't know I, I would assume I mean just flat, flat out Google there was no such thing I mean you had you had an encyclopedia you had to look it up. Like uh, there was no brain room. Well, not everybody has a brain room. I have a brain room I could call. There was no brain room I could call to find out, you know, what what is going on. But I will say I will say this. I do think it's hard uh growing up in this era, but no harder than anything else. There's pluses, minuses to everything. People point out to the fifties, but the fifties was huge problems. I do want to bring up it's Martin Luther King Day. I do wanna say That I just do think that things have gotten so much better over the last two years. I think there's no doubt about it. I think people are appreciating it more. In fact, Charles Love joined me on One Nation over the weekend. He's on one half of Cut the Bull podcast and said this about today, Cut 22. One, the fact that we've come a long way and pay attention to where we've been and what that fight is. And two... To come from a positive place, not only focus on the negative, fix the problems, but there's joy in all this this history. And he, his father and his grandfather, being college graduates, so to assume that everything about being black in America is negative is a problem. It is. And lastly, when it comes to Joe Biden, he has really hurt things, didn't help them. Cut 23. When you're saying things like "we're living in Jim Crow 2.0, I always joke that when I think of a 2.0, I think of the new, improved, the stronger version.
0: So you're implying that what we're dealing with today is worse, and it just bring, comes from a point of just
2: total illogic. It is again. You would have been 94 years old, died at 39 years old, and uh, I just think it's important to see where we come. And I did. Ben Jealous was on at a different hour. And he's founder of the NAACP, supremely educated from Oxford to Harvard on down. Great guy. I don't think that critical race theory is just teaching uh, that we had slaves. I think it is so much more. It's an anti-American approach to education. And I think it says that America is built to it on stolen land, off the backs of slaves. And to me, that's not the case. Were Native Americans here? Yes. Let's talk about it. Was uh, there slavery here? Yes. Let's talk about it. Was there uh, separate, but equal, yes. But look at where we are and what we've been through, and we are the best country in the world. Brian Kilmer,